Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. You know, I am. Um, I've been really impacted personally myself on the uh, messages that have been coming out of the house on you know, Jesus in the marketplace, because let's face it, that's where the majority of you live 99% of the time, right? <laughs> I would love to be on my knees worshipping the Lord. and um, But, you know, our work is our worship. Serving our family is our worship. Going to the gym is worship. <laughs> Not the worship the gym, but, you know, we, we, we there and we reached out to others. But everything we do is an act of worship, right? <clears throat> and last week, Pastor Claude spoke on Isaiah 58. And he spoke particularly on three focuses. One was rebuilding bridges of relationships. The second was repair um, confidence in the Lord for those who have been struggling in that area. And also revive, revive passion for God's house. Because I know that the enemy is doing everything in his power to stop people from coming to the house of God. Not just this house, any house. And he's using COVID as, as an excuse. So this morning, I really want to talk on continuing down that line, but a bit of a different angle on Jesus in relationships. You know, a common observation is, and I've been to a few, is both weddings and funerals can bring out the best and the worst in people. You wouldn't think that would be the case, isn't it? Because usually it's people that you know and love that are around you. You know, I would have to add to that observation, COVID can bring out the best and worst in people. And the reason for that is where there's pressure, whenever there's pressure, weddings and funerals can put pressure on people and our emotions run wild and our emotions are a little bit unsettled, can bring out the best or the worst. But it's when the pressure is on, the squeeze is on, what's in you will flow out. Also with COVID, isolation, you know, it never really brings out the best in people because you and I, we were created for relationship. We were created to do life together, but not just to do life together, life to do together well. And so that's what, where COVID has come in. And so that observation is very clear for us. So this morning, I want to look at what it is to have the characteristics and the nature of Jesus in our relationships. You know, the Bible that we read, is a love book. It's a love book about God's love for you and I. You know, before the foundations of the world was even created, He had you and I on His mind. In fact, He already had a plan to restore us back into a rightful relationship with Him because He knew man was going to blow it. Not only that, He was also He also asked us to send us us out to the banquet table to tell everyone about God's redemption plan. He's using us for that. You know, our primary purpose here on earth is to know Him and make Him known to others. Let's not forget that, just not to know Him. You know, I hear people say, you know, oh, look, I'm just spending so much time with the Lord. Okay, that's good. You should do that. That's very important. In fact, I encourage you to do that as much as you can. But get off your knees and go out and reach others for Jesus Christ, Right? You can pretend you're holy by doing that. I can be holy when I haven't got no one around me because I've got no one that ticks me off then. <laughs> you know, I have a confession to make. Um, a few weeks back, I, um, I got up early and I spent two hours with Jesus and I turned alongside the Claude and I kissed and cuddled him. I said, I just spent the greatest time with Jesus, two hours, and then five minutes later, we're having a bit of an argument. <laughs> And he looks at me and, you know, 
I probably triggered it. And he's looking at me, he's going, you spent two hours with Jesus. Thank goodness you did that because can you imagine what else would have happened? <laughs> I live there too. <laughs> there is nothing more attractive than a life that reflects Christ's nature in relating to people. Who would agree with me? And you and I, we have the ability to compel people to Christ or repel people. <laughs> and I'm going to read now from chapter uh, Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is speaking here. In fact, he speaks in the whole chapter 5, which I encourage you to read. It's all about the attitude of our heart and how to relate to people. And it starts off in verse 1 where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but he's also inviting the crowds to join him. And it's called the Sermon on the Hillside or the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, whatever you want to call it. But it is about the attitude of a heart. And he's speaking to his disciples, but the crowds are listening in and he's challenging them as well. And I'm reminded this morning that we're all on a journey here as a church. Some of us are here for the very first time. Some of us have been around for a long time. And we're probably, some of us are like the crowds. We're all on this different journey. But what we learn here is the nature of God is always inclusion. He's not exclusive. The gospel is not exclusive. It's inclusion. And Jesus is teaching on the kingdom realm of heaven here, also known as the Beatitudes of the heart, as I mentioned. And he starts off in verse 3 by saying, do you like my rusky voice? <laughs> he says, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realise their need for Him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who, are mourn, who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. As I mentioned, this sermon that Jesus is speaking on is about the attitude of the heart of the kingdom in our relationships with him and others. We're going to pick it up now in verse 13 as Jesus continues to speak to them. And he says to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavour? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
You know, Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, you are the salt. You are the light. He's not talking about himself. He says, you are the salt. You are the light. Jesus is talking about our identity before our behaviour here. You are the salt of the earth. You know, before we had fridges in the early days, you know, everything that they did with food, they put salt on to preserve it so it wouldn't rot and decay. And we know they also put um, salt on food so it would be more tastier. What Jesus is saying is, is if we are salt, then we are here to help preserve life, set people free and make people thirsty for the one we worship. Because how many of us know when we put too much salt, it makes us thirsty? And when you spend time with the one you worship, you make people thirsty for the one that you worship. He says, you are the light of the world. See, light is used for vision. Likewise, he's saying the world is in darkness and needs our light. Jesus is making a metaphor here to make a point. He's saying, you are the salt. You are the light. You are the ones that I'm sending out for people so they won't rot and decay and they will be be preserved by life because you are sharing who I am, the Jesus in me for all to see. In verse 16, it says, The same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That's our behaviour. But our identity must come first. Because Jesus has not called you to isolate, but rather to infiltrate, permeate and saturate the Kingdom of God with its culture and nature of Jesus Christ. We know we are now identified us to be His salt and His light, His ambassadors here on earth to represent Him well, to compel people to come to Christ. Jesus in me for all the world to see. See, the true nature of God is love. God is love. It's agape love. It's unconditional love, not human love. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's agape, unconditional love. And we're going to look today at two game-changing verses for our relationships. Who wants to hear them today? Are you ready? The first one is called the royal law of love. Royal means kingly. So it's, it's right up there, right? In James chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Your calling is to fulfil the royal law of love. That's your calling as given to us in this Scripture. You must love and value your neighbour as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. Wow. Love and value your neighbour, the people around you, as you love and value yourself. The problem with that is if we don't know our, who our identity is and we don't love and value ourselves, how is it that we can love and value others? See, hurt people hurt people. And that's why in relationship we self-sabotage our relationships because we have unhealthy or undealt things in our lives. See, in the English language, it doesn't do justice for the word love because we use the word love for everything. You know, I say, I love my dog. I love my bed. I love my kids. I love my husband. 
All the same word, love. And, you know, we even do it on social media. And I mean it when I say it, but, you know, I say, you know, I love you, I love you. But, you know, if I have to be really honest, I do love you. I love you with the agape love, but I love my husband more. I love my kids more. I love those that are, are in, my, in my real world more. But I love you too. We just use the same word for the same context. But the Greek language have different meanings of love. And there are three mentions I'm going to mention. There's more of them. We have the phileo one, which is friendship. We have the eros one, is where it's the sexual one. That's where we get the word erotica from. And by the way, there's a lot of that on television. There's a lot of that on social media. Come on, Love Island? It's more like Lust Island. Married at first sight. What, because you saw her or you saw him? That's not love. Come on, let's not bachelorette. You know, I get to pick and choose. You know, da, 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 da. Come on. That's not the love that God's telling us to love. But agape love. This love only comes from God and it's in us. And only in marriage do the three operate, can the three operate. Because you're not going to use the eros one in another relationship, right? Only in your marriage. Phileo and agape are shared for everyone. When we operate in the unconditional love of God, this is when we truly love and value others without conditions, without strings attached. People feel secure, safe, validated and affirmed. And the most important law in relationship is making deposits of the unconditional love of God. Because the truth is when we get to the end of our life, What's most important is those that have impacted our lives with the unconditional love of God. It's when our family are around us. It's when those that we've we've impacted and we've done close proximity with, we've done life with, we've done family of God with. That's the most important. It starts though in the waiting room with God, both personally and corporately. You know, the Bible says this, and this is not in my notes, but I'm just feeling like the Lord is telling me, not to forsake the gathering together of the saints, especially as the last days are approaching. It's so important, family of God. You know, we, as we spend more and more time with Jesus, on, you know, of just because of who he is, not for what we can get from him, both personally and corporately, that's when our relationships flourish. Look, when you pray together, not just come to church, but when you be the church, when you pray together, you stay together. It takes two to make a relationship work. You become like the one you spend time with. There's a transference, there's an impartation that takes place. We start to receive the unconditional love of the Father. We know our identity and then our behaviour just flows on. But relationships, as you can agree with me, can be the most beautiful thing, but it also can be the most complex and challenging thing to deal with, right? Because no two people ever think exactly the same. And we've all experienced different ways of our upbringing and we've all had different circumstances that we've had to deal with in our life. And this is why the enemy, one number one reason why he tries to wage war in our relationships, because he knows a house divided will fall. And let me say this, if you can't love the people you know that are around you, how are you going to love the people in the marketplace, if you can't love the people that you love already that you know. 
See, the baseline in every relationship must always be rooted in the raw, in the sorry, in the raw, in the royal law of love. This love is patient and kind. This love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. This love never never gives up. This love never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You know, Paul, Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And at the end of it, he says there's three things that must remain forever, faith, hope and love. But he says the most important is love. Why? Because when love, the unconditional love of God is in your heart, the rest just flows out. Love people as you love and value yourself. The next verse is equally important in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We have the royal law of love. Then we have the golden rule in the Bible. Who wants to hear the golden rule in the Bible? Let's read it. It says, in everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. For that is the essence of all the teachings of the law and the prophets. This fulfills all the teachings of Christ when it comes to relationships. In everything you do, treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. Not treat people the way, um, not treat, not the way, you know, they treat you. Treat people the way you would want to be treated, not the way you are treated. You know, relationships are like an emotional bank account. And every day we make deposits and we make withdrawals. And I'd like to share with you today on some practical things on how we can make good deposits in our emotional bank account and how we can build and rebuild bridges of relationships. And the first one is, and this is, um, this is broad, I wanna, this is talking about the marketplace, but you can take it both intimately and corporately. We must clarify expectations in relationships with, with one another. That is so important. You know, I often say to people, do you want me to be your pastor or do you want me to be your friend? Because I need, we need to clarify expectations. You know, I can be a friend, but if you want me to be a pastor, that's a different thing. And when we do that, we've both got to be agreeable with those expectations and not make demands or be unrealistic. You know, good communication is paramount in this. See, not just communicating. Sometimes you can say, I've just communicated something. But how and what you communicate is actually really important. The tone is important. The contents of it is important. Don't assume people know what you're saying. You've got to have the contents right. And see, the cause of all relationships in their difficulties and breakdowns is rooted in the conflict of assumption, of expectations and goals of one another. It's wrong to assume the person knows what your expectations are. You must communicate them. So clarifying expectations is essential, but it does take courage. It does take courage. You can't change what you're not prepared to confront, right? It seems easier to ignore the differences at times and hope things eventually work out. Have you ever done that in your marriage? That doesn't do well for you. You've got to confront those tough conversations, but you've got to confront them in a good way. 
And always do it when you're on the winning streak. Always do it when things are running smooth, not when things aren't going smooth. <laughs> that's the time when, you, when things aren't running smooth, that's when you've got to put good deposits in your relationship. You know, when you go for a job interview, what's the first thing you do? You get a job description. You want to find out what the expectation of you, what the role is and what the goal is and vice versa for the employer. So there's a win-win situation. And it's the same way in our relationships. And like I mentioned, often we want to clarify expectations when things are at a crisis point. Stop, don't do that. That's dangerous. I've been there, done that, doesn't work. Clarifying expectations in, in relationships before you get married. Find out how many kids you want. Find out if you both want to make sure that Sunday is the first day of the week and it's the best we give to God. Clarify your roles, even as husband and wife, because, you know, everyone has a different way of doing things. Sometimes it's the man that wants to stay home and be the homemaker. You know, when my children were little, you know, we both had an agreement that until, you know, the last one started school that I would stay home. And so the expectation was and the agreed expectation was that I would do the housework because he worked long hours. But now that the children are grown up and out of the house, we have a different expectation of each other. <laughs> he shares the housework <laughs> with me. Always discuss the hard things with the relations where things are running smoothly. You know, in relationships, there's expectations on all of us. And it's so important that we communicate and clarify agreeable expectations, roles and goals. Secondly, make what is important to the person is as important it is to you. You know, I've been working on this one. Um, you know, my husband loves sports. He loves watching sports. He loves playing sports, but, you know, in the, these years he's more watching it than playing it. <laughs> he's a great coach, great coach watching it. Anyway, <laughs> so it's AFL, it's cricket, it's anything, anything on TV, he loves sports. And I, I've tolerated it. And more recent, in the more recent years, he's loving rugby. Thanks, son in love. Um, he's just loving it, you know, and my son in love loves it. And, you know, I've tolerated it and I've said, yeah, you can go watch it, yeah, go for it, just do it, you know, and I do my own thing. But you know what? I thought, no, if it's important to him, it's important to me. If it's important to my son in love, it's important to me. I'm going to learn the game. So now I sit and I watch the game myself and I'm getting into it because it's important to him, it's important to me, right? Three. There's things that will be important to me too that he's going <laughs> to. That is a major deposit right there. <laughs> okay, number three, keep your commitments. Keep your promise. Keep your commitments. Keep your promise. Let me tell you, that is a major deposit in the emotional bank account. Even in the small things. Don't, they, they become actually big things. Making a promise and not coming through it through with it is a major withdrawal because the next time when you make a promise, they're not going to believe, you're not going to believe them. In a relationship, small things become big things because it's the small foxes that small the, spoil the vine. When you make a commitment, when you make a vow, when you say you're going to do something, make sure that you do it because your word must be your bond. You know, in my grandfather's days, a handshake and a word was enough. If you borrow money, 
pay it back. If you say you're going to be somewhere on time, be on time. If you say you're going to serve somewhere, make sure you rock up and serve, right? We've got to commit, keep our commitments, be people of, of keeping our promise to each other. Don't make a habit of making promises and not coming through. That is a major withdrawal and distrust comes in. Keep your commitments, keep your promise to one another. Fourthly, are you getting something? Just some practical take-home stuff. You know, we, we know it's the unconditional love of God, but we want to take-home stuff, right? Last one. Apologise when you make a withdrawal. In old-fashioned terms, confessing and asking for forgiveness is a way of life. When you hurt someone, you are making a major withdrawal into the emotional bank account. You need to sincerely apologise because pride has no room in kingdom relationships. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 1 John 1.9, if I could have the worship team come up, thank you. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. See, there's two sides to forgiveness. The one asking for for forgiveness and the one giving forgiveness to the person. And there are six reasons why we should flow in forgiveness. Number one, you forgive because God asks us to forgive. Two, you forgive because if you don't, God doesn't forgive you. He says it in Matthew chapter 6, many of the words. Three, you forgive for your own well-being. Don't allow the root of bitterness to grow cold in your heart. Fourthly, you forgive because unforgiveness nullifies your faith from working. Because faith works by love. You can see how forgiveness is so important. Unforgiveness is actually likened to hate. Number five, you forgive because unforgiveness can, and I say can, definitely not always, open the door to sickness and disease and even death. That's what unforgiveness can do to you. And number six, you forgive because Christ forgave you in advance. We forgive. We pay it forward. We forgive in advance because that's what Christ did for us. We come before God every day, every morning and, you know, as we go before Him and we get our hearts clean and we say, Lord, today I declare that I forgive all people in advance. I keep my heart soft towards everyone but my thick, my skin is thick, Lord. I choose not to get offended. I choose to forgive even before someone does me wrong. That's powerful, church, because your faith works by that. In closing, in building or, bri- our building or rebuilding bridges of relationship, let me just say it's never too late. It's never too late. The raw law of love, love and value people as you love and value yourself. The golden rule, treat people the way you would want to be treated not the way you are treated. See, this is when we truly reflect Christ's character and nature. This is truly when we are the salt and the light of the world. This is truly when we are the representations of Jesus Christ, the ambassadors of Him, where we become the walking, talking manifestation of Jesus Christ. This is truly when we can say the Jesus in me for all the world to see. 
But it does start when you spend time with him because you become like the one you worship. Did you get something this morning? Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for your love for us. So precious. Your unconditional love for us, Lord. We come before you this morning, Lord. And we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, it's just, we just stand in awe of the fact that you want to have a personal relationship with us. And you've already paid for it in full, in advance, that we can come to you and we don't need to work for this. We don't need to do anything other than receive the gift of salvation. And then you come into our hearts and you flood us with your love. And today my prayer is that those who have heard the message will receive salvation in their hearts, maybe for the first time or maybe another time today, that maybe their hearts have grown cold, Lord, because of unforgiveness or because they've just neglected their relationship with you. And today my prayer is that they would come close in, they would lean in and draw into your presence today and receive your grace and your forgiveness and your love and they would know who their identity is, not by their behaviour, Lord, because, you know, our behaviour sometimes... Lord, we let you down, but we come to the altar this morning, the altar of heaven, and we ask for your grace and your mercy, Lord, God, to flood us today in your wonderful, glorious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.